Galatians. We've been in Galatians for about four months now, four months and a week, I think. And it's been incredible. I've really enjoyed the journey with you guys going through this book. And so we're going to do a couple things. We're going to kind of journey. We're going to journey through all six chapters quickly at the beginning. And then we're going to hit the last eight verses, which concludes uh, Galatians. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. And I think I told you a couple weeks ago, and I'll remind you again today, that the next book we're going to do is the book of Ezra. And there's ten chapters in the book of Ezra. It's pretty easy reading. And I'm hoping, if you haven't done so already, try to find 40 to 50 minutes to uh, read the book of Ezra in one sitting uh, in preparation for going through the book over the next few months. Okay? We, at the end of uh, the message, will be... uh, Rob made a joke about it, but we're going to do Rob's ordination. So we have three services. So until we ordain him at the end of the service, he's only two-thirds of a pastor. So we've got to finish that job. Um, and it really is a lot of fun to do it three times. Um, but we'll be doing his ordination where I will be inviting the elders and the trustees to come up and we'll be anointing him and, uh, as an elder and a pastor of this church. So as a pastor of this church. Really excited about that. Let me ask you this. And this might sound familiar because I asked these same questions when we opened up the book of Galatians four months ago. Let me ask you this. How do you acquire the news? Do you acquire the news through a newspaper, uh, online, perhaps the TV or the radio? Do you acquire it a few times a day, a few times per week? Uh, What type of news do you typically find the news to be? Mostly positive? Mostly negative? What kind of impact does, does the news have on your life? And then we compare that, just the regular news, to something that we refer to as the gospel, what the Bible refers to as the gospel, which, which means what? What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. How do you acquire the good news? Do you read daily your Bible? Are you involved in a small group or home, home group? Do you listen on the radio? Do you come to church? How often do you acquire the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Once per day? A few times per week? What does the word gospel mean again? It means good news. And here's the good news. If you don't know what the good news is, the good news is this, is that sinners, that's you, that's everybody in this room, and it's everybody outside of this room. The good news is that sinners can be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God and are promised heavenly blessings because of what Jesus did on the cross. And only because of that. That's the good news. Look how Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in Galatians chapter 6, you'll just look to your right and you'll see Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Let's read those verses together. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 8. This is the good news that Paul's talking about in Galatians. That false teachers are trying to remove that good news from the church. Verse 3, and when we read these verses, pay attention to how active God is in all these verses. That it's all about God. Check this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, It was Him who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing comes from Him in the heavenly places in Christ. That's how we get them is through Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, 
before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God because of what Christ has done. In His love, He predestined you and I to adoption as sons and daughters through Christ back to Himself according to the kindness, the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved, which is Christ. In Him we have been redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Is that good news? That's incredible news. And somebody's trying to come into the churches of Galatia and say, no, that's not the way it works. And so Paul is a little bit heated up about this. The gospel, church, the gospel is the most important news that the world will ever hear. Every day and any day. Imagine someone trying to convince you that this good news is actually not good news. Imagine. So as Paul brings his letter to a close, he once again emphasizes some of the great issues that were discussed throughout his letter, throughout the epistle, and the matters that he felt so strongly about. He's going to wrap that up in these eight verses. Do you recall what the Judaizers were telling the churches in Galatia? That they must be what? Do you remember? Circumcised. That's right. That they must be circumcised and keep the entire law of Moses in order to be saved. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's bad news. That they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved and restored to a right relationship with God. These false teachers are spreading a false gospel. And the false gospel is any mixture, any mixture of God's grace and our flesh. That's a false gospel. That, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. I know God did all this stuff that we just read about in Ephesians as well. But i got to do something. No, you'll mess the whole thing up. That's a false gospel. He paid the perfect price to cover our sins, to renew and restore our relationship with Him. He did it all. And so all we do in response to that is we give our lives to Him in gratitude and thankfulness in response to the price He paid for us. So we're going to take a little adventure from Galatians 1 through Galatians 6 and remind ourselves as we wrap up this letter what the letter is really about so that we walk away from Galatians and we understand I know exactly what Paul wants the Galatian readers to hear. So we're going to do this real quick adventure and then we're going to focus on our eight verses at the end. Go to Galatians 1. Go to Galatians 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. When Paul says, I'm perplexed, I'm amazed that you're going to desert quickly Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. But here's the problem. Verse 7 says, it's really not another gospel. It's bad news. There's only one gospel, only one good news. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort, which means to pervert the gospel of Christ. Oh, a lot of people want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul writes, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, which is faith in Jesus Christ by His grace, is how we are saved. He is to be accursed if any other gospel than that is preached. Look at chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. 
where Paul says, hey, sure, yeah, I'm Jewish. I, I'm, I'm from the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. We are Jews by nature, and we're not sinners from among the Gentiles. Let me paraphrase that. What Paul's saying is, yes, I'm a sinning Jew. I'm just not a sinning Gentile. That's no difference, right? I'm a sinner from Yorba Linda. I'm not a sinner from Anaheim Hills. Oh, that's different, right? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. We're sinners from amongst the Jews. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ, even we have believed in Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not ever by the works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No flesh will be seen as righteous before a holy God. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Look at uh, Galatians 3, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you, churches in Galatia. Did you receive, when the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt you, did that happen by the works of the law? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Or by hearing with faith. It's when they put their faith in Christ, that's when the Spirit came. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. You're not just born into faith. You're not, I, I'm, you know, they were proud of their Jewish heritage. So I'm a son of Abraham, so I'm going to follow all the, the law, and therefore I'm saved. No, that's not what verse 7 says. Be sure he's telling these people that those who are of the faith, those are truly the descendants of Abraham. Those are truly God's chosen people, are people of faith, not people of works. Look at verse 10 in chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law, or for whoever is of the works of the law, are under a curse. Because the law itself, quoting, this is a quote from Deuteronomy, it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law to perform every one of them. You're cursed. Look at verses 13 to 14. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Because the law itself says that cursed is he or everyone who hangs on a tree. Look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 3. Verses 24 and 25. Therefore, because it's like, well, why was the law put in place? The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by our faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor, the law. And look at Galatians 4, 6. So now, because you are sons and daughters, God has done what? Because you put your faith in Him through Christ, He has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts that we can identify that we belong to God. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. And so what Paul is telling the churches in Galatia is this, that since God has indeed sent forth the Holy Spirit into our hearts, then moving forward, we are to live by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit and never by our flesh. We must recognize that nothing good dwells in our flesh. Nothing. We cannot add anything to the grace, the perfect sacrifice that Christ made for us. To do so is to tell God that His job was done incompletely. Oh, may it never be. What kind of God would that be? That we would desire to serve a God that's fallible. Look at now chapter 5, verse 2. Continuing to walk through the adventure of Galatians. 
Galatians 5, verses 2, 3, and 4. Behold, I, Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you, churches in Galatia, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under God's obligation to keep the whole law, which can't be done. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, and you have now fallen from grace. We must live in grace at all times. And at any time we try to do something to think that we have any part of being in right standing with God, we have fallen from grace. And bad things happen when we do that. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What does mean something is faith working through love. Look at verse 9. Here's kind of the crux of the matter of Galatians. That a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So if this represents God's grace and our tiny little pinpoint act of flesh or works is entered into this big massive dough, we're going to mess up the entire massive dough of grace. That's what that verse says. Any little part of us that thinks that we can enter into God's grace leavens everything and it ruins everything. That's how depraved we are. That's how wicked we are. That's how sinful we are. That's how ugly our flesh is. Lord, help us. Look at verse 16. Okay, well, how do I do this? Well, verse 16 says, I've given you my Holy Spirit, so I say walk by the Spirit. And you won't need to worry about carrying out the desire of the flesh. And so we live a life of submission to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us so that God is pleased with us. And then in verses 19 through 25... He talks in 19, 20, and 21 about the ugly deeds of the flesh, right? The deeds of the flesh in verse 19, and he lists all these nasty things. And in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists those things. And then in verse 24, this is, and I, and I, I kind of hit us on this a few weeks ago. Verse 24 says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so I asked this a few weeks ago. If somebody were to say to you, do you belong to Jesus Christ? And you say, yes, of course I do. Then they should be able to quote this verse and say, so what you mean to tell me is that you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, okay, but your Bible says, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So reverse that. If you haven't crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, then you must not belong to Jesus Christ. Does that make you uncomfortable? It does me a little bit. That's what's at stake here. We have the ability to do that, otherwise we wouldn't be commanded to do that. That's how powerful our God is. And that's what's at stake here, is we've got to get our flesh out of the way and completely rely on the Holy Spirit of God. And then look at Galatians 6, verse 8. Here's the problem, or the result, however you want to look at it. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. Nothing good comes from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. Good things. Things are alive. Things aren't dead. Let's pray. God, we are incredibly humbled to be able to go through this letter that Paul penned on your behalf that you inspired him to write to the churches in Galatia because you knew, Lord, and you know, Lord, 
our propensity to look to ourselves and not look to you, to think that we can do something when we can do nothing, that in our flesh nothing good dwells. And that should say to us that we have an incredibly desperate need for you and for you alone. Because in our flesh, nothing but corruption takes place. But you want us to have life, and you want us to have life more abundantly, and that can only be found in the power and the spirit of a mighty God and a holy God. And so it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so let's read our eight verses. Okay, let's read Galatians 6, 11 through 18. Okay, you guys ready? Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised, man, they don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh as followers of them. But may it never be that I would boast. But may it never be that I would boast. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. Oh, Lord, help us. For neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision. But what is something is the new creation, the work that God does inside of our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And those who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So here's our takeaways. Here's the ABCs and accounting. In this thing called spirituality, in this thing called relationship with God, we need to take an accounting of what counts and what doesn't count. If you want me to play a game, I want to know how the game, what counts and what doesn't count. I don't want to be doing something in the game and then somebody say, oh, well, that doesn't count. What do you mean it doesn't count? I need to know what counts. I want to win. I want to win this game called spirituality and restoration with God and being pleasing to God. So I need to know what counts and what doesn't count. And then we're going to talk about boasting and, and branding. And Paul says, may I never boast. May I never boast, except what? In the cross of Christ. And then he says that I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. When we read that, did you think, wow, I wonder if I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus? We should. And then lastly, it's kind of a play on words, but there's going to be four C words, that if we can get down these four C words, it'll impact our future. That our future in walking with the Lord, we can focus on those four C words then we can foresee our future and watch God bless us and watch over us. All right, so let's do our first takeaway, the accounting part. We need to know what counts. We need to know what counts, right? In Galatians 1, don't turn there, Paul jumped right into the issue in Galatians 1, and he tells us that the gospel for the salvation of mankind, that's what's at stake when he wrote the Galatians, that if they got the gospel wrong, that's going to be problematic, right? And what is the thing that they are doing in these churches that prompted Paul to write his letter. Circumcision. Right? That was very clear through the letter. Look in our verses uh, in chapter 6. Look at 12 through 15. It's five times, because now this is Paul's summary, right? Look at 12 through 15. You'll see circumcision five times. Those who desire, verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised so that they won't be persecuted. 
Those who are circumcised, they don't even keep the law themselves. They desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I'm crucified to the world. Verse 15, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision anything, but what is something is a new creation. We'll see that stated virtually the same way in chapter 5 of Galatians. Go to chapter 5, uh, verse 6. Verses 6 through 10. Verse 6 is exactly the same, mostly exactly the same, and you'll see why in a second, than verse 15 of chapter 6. It starts exactly the same. Verse 6 of chapter 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Verse 15 says, but a new creation. It's a faith. It's in our hearts. It's what God does in our spirits and creates something new within us. Okay? So, we need to take an account of what counts and what doesn't count. Especially when it comes to matters, right, of faith and life and salvation. So clearly, Galatians 6.15, which we read, and 5.6, that's the key. When you look at 6.15, it says the same thing, that neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision. Another way to put it, circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing. It's nothing. Okay? So, what Paul's making very clear is this is whether circumcision or uncircumcision, that's the outward. Outwardly, that equals what? What does the verse say? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. So that means outwardly counts for nothing. Nothing. Nothing means nothing. Which means then, if everything on the outside counts for nothing, what does the inside count for? Yes. Everything. Everything, not some things, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Inward counts for everything. What God does in our hearts by our putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is everything. The NIV puts Galatians 6.15 beautifully. It says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means a thing. What counts is the new creation. What counts is what God does in our hearts when we put our faith and trust in Him. Church, there is absolutely nothing that we can do outwardly in our flesh that can possibly matter when it comes to restoring our relationship with God. All of that was done in the perfect person of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? What matters, what counts, is a new creation, which is what verse 15 tells us putting our faith, our hope, and our trust in the one and only Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Christ is not his last name, right? We've talked about this, right? This is a description of who he is. It wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and Jesus Christ. Just didn't know if you knew that, right? It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. What does the Christ and the Messiah mean? The anointed one. Anointed to come and save the world from their sins. He was anointed for that purpose. God in the flesh who died for us and put His Spirit in us, making us a new creation. Scripture says that we're born again, which means born from above. It's something that He does in us. Look 
Turn to your right into um, Philippians 3. A little to your right of Galatians, you'll find Ephesians and then Philippians. Look at Philippians 3, 2 and 3. Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3. Oh, harsh, harsh words Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Church, we have to be aware of the things that want to take away from the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm a good person. I can get to heaven on my own. No, you can't. That's a false circumcision believing. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and what He did on the cross. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Now turn to the left of Galatians and you'll see 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians. So to the left of Galatians, you'll find 2 Corinthians. Now I need to warn you, the fine print of this passage is that I'm going to challenge us as a church a little bit, okay? Only because it's in Scripture, and I feel obligated to share. When it's there, I just feel like I need to say something about it, okay? So let's read this, and then you're going to feel a little bit of a nudge or a challenge, I hope. Chapter 5, verse 17, 18, and 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Manny, you're a new creature. The old things passed away, the old evil fleshly thing. And behold, new things have come. (laughs) Now all these things are from God. Which things? All these things. This new creature stuff is from God. And He did this through Christ. Why? Who reconciled us to Himself. God made things good between us, between us and Him. He reconciled us to Himself through Christ's Is there a period after Christ? No. It says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just reconcile us. He also gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Nudge. Nudge. We're gathered to scatter. To help reconcile. Somebody, I presume, helped reconcile you to Christ. Somebody helped reconcile me to Christ. We need to help reconcile people to Christ. I'm not done. Let's look at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Lord. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. If we're doing that great, then we're doing that great. We're not doing that great. We need to do that better. All of us. That's why we're here. Amen? You guys feel a little nudged? Is that challenging? You bet. I like being challenged by God's Word. He loves us and He cares for us. And He went out of His way to reconcile us to Him. And He's saying, I'm committing you to the same process. I'm committing you to help reconcile others back to himself. What a tall order. It's a serious deal. It's a tall order to be the church. Lord, help us. Why does it offend us so much that our flesh does not please God? Why does it offend us so much that our flesh does not please God? Here's the reality. If any part of our flesh please God, guess who becomes the object of worship at that time? Ourself. It's like, oh, God knew what He was doing. If there's any part of my flesh that allows me to be reconciled to God, I'm suddenly the object of my own worship. 
that's a problem. Our second takeaway, boasting and branding. Let's read verses 13 through 17. Those who are circumcised, they don't keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. They want to boast in somebody else or in themselves? And Paul writes, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord, to whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation is what matters. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And from now on, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, Paul says, because I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. So, when we have done our proper accounting, when we know what counts for nothing, which is anything on the outside, and what counts for everything, which is everything on the inside, and then when we read verses like chapter 6, verse 8, which we're going to read right now, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. With these things in mind, what could we possibly boast about in our flesh before a holy God? What could we possibly boast about when our flesh leads to corruption and the Spirit leads to life? Nothing. Look at the first part of verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast. But may it never be that I would boast. When? May it never be that I would boast. Perhaps you know, perhaps you don't know, but I can't help but wonder what this might look like for you and for me. I wonder how much you boast in things other than the cross of Christ. And perhaps you wonder how much I boast. Let me tell you something. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. I can honestly say to you, I'm one of the least boastful people I know. It's funny, right? You get, you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm boasting about how unboastful I am. Depraved. Like, that's just... I honestly, when I see people boast, it bothers me. And I'm like, what is with them? They need to be more like me. I'm one of the least boastful people I know. And I'm boasting in my boastlessness. I'm not, right? It's just... What's wrong with me, you guys? What is wrong with me? The same thing that's wrong with you. We're in it together. Woohoo! It's just, it's just pathetic. How often may we boast? Let's look at verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast. But may it never be that I would boast. But may it never be that I would boast. Look at Judges 7.2. Judges 7.2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people that you have assembled, there are too many, too many uh, 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 soldiers for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying that my own power has delivered me. Do you know what the head count was of how many he pared down from? There was 32,000 soldiers that Gideon had. Do you know how many they were going to fight against? 120, if I did my math right. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I think there was 32,000 that Gideon had in his army to go up against 120, and God said 32,000? Too many. They have 120, we have 32. And he says, yeah, even with that, you'll probably boast if I wipe them out. And so he pared them down to how many? 300. 300. He had to get down to that many. 300 against 120,000 so that they wouldn't boast. That's how pathetic we are. 2 Timothy 3.2 says, For men, you and I will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful. 
arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. And what does God say about that in the psalmist in 5.5? He says this, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Boasting is an iniquity. So Paul says, May it never be that I would boast. Are there any exceptions? And this is kind of a trick question, so forgive me. Are there any exceptions according to this verse? According to chapter 6, verse 14, there's a word after the comma. What's that word? Ah! There's an exception clause. I love exception clauses. There is an exception? Yes, Paul says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So good news, church. You are able to boast. I'm giving you the exception. You can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good news, right? I love exception clauses. Check out Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, and 25. Powerful, powerful verses. Thus says the Lord, Let not a man, a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And check out verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares God, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Well, what the heck does that mean? It means that they're followers of the nation of Israel. They're Jewish. They've been circumcised, but their hearts are so far removed from God, it doesn't matter that they're circumcised outwardly. Arguably, too many of us Christians are circumcised outwardly. We do a lot of the right stuff, but inwardly we are a train wreck, like the people that Jeremiah prophesied to I've been there. I've been there. Look good on the outside, but inside I'm a train wreck. The outcome of boasting in the cross and not boasting in ourselves can be found at the end of verse 14. Here's what happens. When we boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world will be crucified to me and all be crucified to the world. Isn't that great news? You want to know how to escape all the challenges of the world? Boast in the cross of Christ. Understand what it means for you so that you can crucify the world when the world is crucified to you. One commentary, and I'll put it up on the screen, it says this. The world system, with all of its allurements, fleshly displays, and religions of human effort was cast aside by Paul. He looked at the world as if it were on a cross, and the world looked at Paul as though he were on a cross. Isn't that great? And so it makes me wonder. I wonder what part of the world is still not on a cross or the cross for you. What part of the world has not been crucified in your life? I wonder if the world sees you as somebody on the cross, that you've been crucified to the world. I wonder if verse 14 is anybody's memory verse or life verse. But may it never be that we wake up in the morning and before our feet touch the carpet or the ground or the tile or whatever you have at your home, that we would... Repeat this verse. Lord, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world and then we go brush our teeth. Right? I just wonder if that's anybody's life verse. I wonder how many days we can go without boasting in our flesh. 
I wonder how many days you and I can go without boasting of ourselves. But more importantly, I wonder how many days actually go by where we don't boast in the cross. How many days do we let go by? It's the only boast we're allowed to have. It's the only thing we're allowed to boast about is what Jesus did on the cross. And I wonder how many days we let go by without thanking our Lord and boasting in the cross. Branding. Look at verse 17. He says, Paul writes, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. These brand marks, the Greek word is stigma or stigmata. It meant signs of ownership such as were branded on slaves or on cattle. In Paul's day, it wasn't unusual for the follower of some heathen god to be branded with the logo, if you will, of that idol. There was a time when Paul was proud of his previous brand mark, which was that of circumcision because he was a Jew. But after he became a follower of Jesus Christ, he became a marked man in a different way. And he glorified and gloried in the scars that he received in his service to Christ. Paul gloried in the scars that he received in his service to Christ. And I think far too often we'll do anything we can not to get scars for the cause of Christ. We avoid it at whatever cost. From now on, he says, in verse 17, I'm going to skip some words because I want you to see how he means it. From now on, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. From now on, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul is drawing a line in the sand saying, from this day forward, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I belong to Him. If you don't belong to Jesus, who or what do you belong to? I don't belong to anybody. Oh, so you belong to yourself. So now, that's your God, is yourself. It's the only choices we have. We're going to bear somebody's brand marks. Who or what owns you? But more importantly, or as importantly, have you, like Paul, when he says, from now on, have you had your own from now on moment? Have you had your own from now on moment? Where you say, from now on, today's the day. What's the day? The 19th of March? March 19, 2017. I'm going I'm to leave here today because from now on, I'm going to bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. It's that serious. Two weeks ago, I had a takeaway called Life is a Bear. You guys remember that? It's one of the things, we, one of the talking points from the earlier part of Galatians 6. And one of the talking points is that life is a bear. Three verses in Galatians 6. 6 verse 2, 6 verse 5, and 6 verse 17. However, I do that with my hands. 6, 2, 6, 5, and 6, 17. What that means is that we're to bear, three bears in chapter 6. We are to bear our own load. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Understand the load that we have to bear as a follower of His. And then we're to bear the load of one another. We're to bear the burdens of one another. And then we're to bear the brand marks of Jesus to recognize that He is our Master and our Lord. We follow Him. We choose not to follow ourselves. And then lastly, this whole foresee the future. Look in verses 14 and 15. There's four C words that we want to key in on. That if you focus on this for the rest of your Christian life, you should be good to go. Verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross. That's the first one. We must keep our eyes on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's about the cross and it's about Christ through which the world has been 
crucified. That's the third C word. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then in verse 15 it says, we are a new creation. If we remember, it's all about what Christ did on the cross that allows you and I to become a new creation. And as the new creation, we can crucify ourselves to the world and have the world be crucified to us. And then we can live in the Spirit, which is talked about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against such things there is no law. You're completely free. Four, see your future. And then in verse 16, what does he say? That if we walk by this rule where we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's what we get. Peace and mercy will be upon us. If I'm in trouble because I and my flesh have nothing good, there's nothing I can do to reconcile myself to God, I need God's mercy poured out on me, don't I? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so God extends His mercy to us by sending who? Jesus. It was an act of mercy and grace. We were in trouble and God extends mercy. And so He sends Christ. And then Christ ascends and He sends, after He ascends, He sends what? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us peace. Because that's what it says in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. God sends Jesus and Jesus sends His Spirit. That's how loving God is for us. And that's how incapable we are on our own. Amen? Therein ends the lessons of Galatians. What a great book. I'm going to invite Rob Johnson up so we can uh, make this man a complete pastor. been walking around here all morning, a partial pastor. We're going to get the job done. Really excited about this. And then I'm going to invite the elders and trustees and, uh, to come up here as well. What an incredible and glorious moment. Anytime we do something like this at our church, at any church. Another day and another opportunity to be blown away by the handiwork of our God. God has always called His workers to ministry and He continues to do the same thing today. Our Lord called Abraham, Moses, Peter, and Paul, just to name a few, to particular ministries. And in the same way, He calls us to specific ministries in service to our awesome Lord. While it is always a blessing to learn or to hear or talk about God's provision to His people, it's especially joyful to, to experience and to see tangible moments like today. Where we see the hand of our faithful God giving generously yet again to those that follow Him and serve Him and love Him. We are here to recognize and ordain Rob Johnson as a pastor of the Rock Community Church. Thank you, men, for being here. Along with his wife, Erin their daughter Nora and coming twin boys. Please be praying for them. We clearly see this family as being sent to us from the Lord as a blessing and a gift to this wonderful church. I'm sure I speak for all of us, Rob, that we look forward to being ministered by you. You've done that to me already so many ways. And in all the ways that the Lord has called and gifted you to do so. But I also look forward to this church being a blessing to you and your family. I hope and pray that we can come alongside you and your family and minister to you and your family in very practical ways that you experience the joy of serving the Lord in the context of a church community. I challenge you, church, to keep this wonderful family in your prayers at all times. Will you do that for them? 
What is ordination? Ordination is simply a declaration by the leadership of this church that Rob has earned the church's confidence and endorsement for specific forms of ministry. Ordination recognizes that the elders have had plenty of time to interview and observe and experience the biblical qualifications of Rob Johnson as spelled out in his holy word. It also recognizes, Rob, that you are committing to a life of integrity and highest ethics and that you are ready to live that kind of life. Ministry simply demands a higher standard. That's what Scripture says. With that being said, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, 11, 12, and 13. It says that the Lord gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure that we measure our lives to the fullness of Christ. Rob, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Since you have been called to this biblical ministry, have you considered seriously this ministry to which you are called? Will you strive to encourage the church and others to a saving and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Will you remain faithful to the teaching of Scripture, teaching the entire counsel of God as you teach within this church? Rob, the good news is is that you don't enter this ministry alone but you have the help and the support of God our Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have the great cloud of witnesses, and of course you have the church. Last night and this morning we invited Erin up, but she had to go home. She's pregnant with twins, so she made two services. We're proud of her. She's not here now, is that correct? But I would like to invite up your mom and dad. Would you guys be willing to come up as we pray for your son? I didn't ask their permission, I just kind of did it. And I know Elizabeth, and you don't want to mess with Elizabeth. I'm telling you right now. All right, checks in the mail. This is Greg and Elizabeth, Rob's parents. They're in from Arizona. Thanks for being here, you guys. I'm going to pray, and the elders and trustees are going to lay hands on Rob, and, and, and Mom and Dad, just, you know, just push those guys aside. Make sure that you, know, you do what parents do. We're going to pray for him, and then one of the elders is going to uh, anoint him during our prayer. Let's pray. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come today with praise that Jesus died for us and that we may bring our lives to Him in return. (coughs) Excuse me. We are thankful for this, Your servant, who offers himself to the ministry of Christ. Grant Rob the spirit of wisdom that he may know You better. May his heart be enlightened by Your Word. May his feet be swift with the gospel of peace his hands outstretched toward those in need, his tongue ready with the message of Christ. Occasion always be true to your word and his life consistent with his words. When discouragement comes, uphold him. In his successes, shield him from pride. Let him fear God rather than men. Work through Rob to do your will, O Lord and to bring men to Christ, to build up the church, to extend the kingdom of righteousness. Be his constant companion, Father, and may he be yours. May his life cause many to find salvation in Christ, through whom we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Can you give these guys a round of applause?